0: Hello and welcome to the next episode of Startup Diaries. In today's episode, we're joined by Rob Brockington, CEO of Claro Money, a startup wealth management platform aimed at financial coaching to create a new generation of investors who are both ethically and financially informed. Rob actually spent 12 years working on the trade floor of banks and climbing the corporate ladder uh, until he took the jump into startup life. Uh, The inception of Claro Money was far from straightforward, as Rob discusses in this episode, Uh, but through strong belief in his idea and courage to make a series of daring decisions, Rob has built a product that is set to make serious waves, in the increasingly crowded fintech market. Uh, with a 3 time increase in downloads of fintech apps post-pandemic, uh, Rob talks us through his unique strategy that Claro took when marketing the product to find users and attain them for the platform, as well as the challenges that have come along with it. A really interesting episode, and we hope you enjoy it. Welcome, Rob. Thank you. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Um, do you want to dive in and just ultimately tell us a bit about yourself and the story behind Claro money?
1: Sure. So uh, my background is um, about 12 years working on the trade floor of several investment banks, um, looking after technology teams predominantly. So my whole career has always been in in technology and kind of starting many years ago as the kind of support guy to the trade desk in a a tiny little team shoved in the corner, all the way kind of growing to like the the dominant large tech team that sits in the middle of a, a trade floor kind of supporting Uh, you know large amounts of of, uh, equities flow mainly kind of coming through the business so I did that for a long time um kind of worked my way up to a a global head of a global team uh, doing that and then kind of got to the point where I really wanted to do something else I've been in big banks for a long time and it can be a bit draining um more from more from a kind of a, a type of work perspective, you know, a lot of admin, a lot of, um, red tape, shall we say, rather than actually getting stuff done and Mm. kind of had an opportunity presented to me to come and found a startup before with a, an old colleague did that for a few years, which was, which was really good fun. Um, and then, um, kind of came across an opportunity to be part of uh, a new project, which was actually looking to build something different to what we're doing now. So we were, looking to build something which was very well suited to my background in terms of being in the investment space uh, for for retail obviously mm-hmm. um and yeah uh, kind of that was you know I then came into the role and and we ended up pivoting um the product um early 2020 to what it is now mm-hmm. um but you know I guess my background in financial technology and a bit of a bit of fintech is what kind of led me to to that mm-hmm.
0: You spoke when we were obviously planning this about that kind of turning point where you've obviously gone in and start found, helped found this business and you've turned around to essentially your major investor and told them that they're doing something, they're doing the products wrong and they basically need to, like you say, pivot and change the, the idea of the product. That's a pretty risky move in that particular moment and it's obviously quite, you're backed with confidence and your extensive experience, but how did you manage that and navigate that situation and, and kind of, yeah, I guess, educate them?
1: Yeah, it was really difficult because we, um, so the when I came in and um, it was we were an investor-led startup and um, a project was already underway, um, a lot of work had already been done and I kind of came into the project, I'd already flagged some concerns before I came in but kind of once I came in I, I hired a, a, a close colleague who I worked with for many years and, and a couple of other people and we did our own research and, and re-went over a lot of the work that had been done by the uh, the uh, the agency partner that was working on it and just generally felt that like maybe there's a few things that didn't sync up we loved the idea of the the, the original product which is why we joined in the first place but we just got to the point where we just didn't think the business model was going to be solid enough to put hang our careers on it and yeah. you know investors money on it so we spent a lot of time looking at the very kind of detailed aspects of all the way down to like you know acquisition um techniques through to Like model monetization and things like that. And we looked at it enough and we had enough existing experience to say, like, yeah, we didn't feel confident. So instead of just going back and saying, this doesn't work, we spent probably about six to eight weeks just taking everything that we had from our research and then looking at that and saying, well, where is the gap here in the market that we think we can kind of shift or pivot this product to? And it kind of firmly fell into education. Um, education in finance is one of those things where again it's not taught in school right and it's really up to you as you as you grow older to figure that stuff out unless you have someone in your life like a parent who is extremely well versed in in that world right so that education enables people to make decisions which is what then makes people make decisions about the products they're going to use, right, mm-hmm. for, for their money. And we were talking before about pensions, right? Like yeah. that's the kind of thing that with a really good education you can make more informed decisions about about those things. So education was the area that we felt was a key piece that we needed to cover. Mm-hmm. Didn't want to just build an education platform because that is I think not what the solution that was needed. But we wanted to build something that um, was able to provide education and suitable underlying financial products together in a way that was kind of non-advisory and mm-hmm. in, and but helpful to the mass market essentially something that you stick on top of your bank account and it helps manage all the things outside of your of your bank account related mm-hmm. to finance and so we spent yeah six to eight weeks really pulling together the high level thoughts that we had about what that needed to be we put together, like, it's one of those things, you start putting together a pitch deck and before you know it, it's like 80 pages long. Yeah. Uh, we did that and then we, yeah, we sat down with the investor. We explained our thoughts about, and this was, to give more context, this was in like April 2020. Yeah. So like the world had just gone mental. Yeah. Everyone was like very unsure about the future of everything. Mm. We kind of stood up and said, yeah, we don't think this is going to work, but this is what we really think can work. and Here's all the reasons why. And, you know, a very detailed deck about, all the different aspects of what we're trying to do and luckily um we got a resounding yes this is awesome let's go ahead and do it so yeah. from then on we kind of spent the rest of 2020 like right now we actually have to go and do this <laughs> Hire, you know we had a, some reusable code and stuff that we'd written that we could use which was great and um the agency we worked with were really good in kind of helping us pivot the, the idea and getting us to um uh, to to try and not stop the cadence right of movement because that really affects business, especially in the early stages. So yeah, we we can kind of continued along that thread and yeah, 2020 was a year of just hiring a lot of people remotely, which was an interesting um, dynamic, yeah. um, and just building right. It was it was a year of building mainly from a development and product perspective, mm-hmm. uh, also from a marketing perspective. Uh, I think it's it's often very misunderstood how long it takes for marketing to kind of bed in and and grow so yeah we had learnt from previous like kind of things that we needed to start that early but yeah it was uh we, i think we handled it well i think we were really lucky that we had partners that kind of trusted us and yeah. believed also in the mission of what we were then presenting yeah. so could it could have gone very differently i'm sure
0: yeah well i forgot about the uh the timing of it as well and the height of when everyone was in that first lockdown and no one knows what's going on in the world. But yeah. I think you, you told me that, but since then there's been what a three time increase in downloads of personal finance uh, yeah. apps on, are on your phone.
1: I think uh, the, um, the pandemic definitely is, you know, a lot of people lost their jobs and a lot of people had like financial struggles. Um, we were extremely privileged to be in a position where we had jobs and we were building something, which was, which was great. I think that um, the pandemic seemed to have this effect from what we could see data-wise that, you know, people were starting to now look for these solutions to financial mm-hmm. problems that maybe they'd probably been thinking about for mm-hmm. several years but hadn't done anything about potentially. And, um, yeah, that that led to a quite a significant increase in the amount of kind of, let's call them fintech apps that are being downloaded um, mm-hmm. from the App Store or, or wherever, um, which obviously for us in terms of timing is actually it's good because the demand is there Mm -hmm. but it's bad now because everyone's competing for that for that demand right Mm so yeah the the price of um, acquisition through those channels like went 3x over that period and for a brand new business with no brand awareness and no you know not even a product ready yet like Mm -hmm. that was a bit daunting yeah. yeah
0: well i guess one of the things that you did do in that time was you obviously created a uniquely positioned product with the coaching aspect and you the, the, the aim of your well, where you're focusing your demographic as well uh with the type of people that you're trying to obviously attract but you've mentioned the sort of marketing strategy there how did you ultimately try and drive marketing and, and to get users onto your product
1: so what we a lot of what we did was kind of message testing right like we we had the the belief and vision that like a good financial coaching experience is really beneficial to the majority of people. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we did a lot of testing around that, um, oh, and then again, like financial coaching is something that's really not well known. So, people know what financial advice is, and they're two. They are two slightly different things. Like gu- uh, coaching is guidance; it's about education. <laughs> Explaining to people how different types of things work, you know, the difference between this ISA and this ISA, the reason why there's this tax and this tax. You know, there's it's an educational process to help people make their own decisions. And advisory, while it does sometimes cover some of that, is predominantly more, um, it, it, the, it's, it's more expensive because people are helping you make those decisions for you. Mm-hmm. So they're two different things. And people know what financial advice is. They don't know what financial coaching is. So you're coming in to launch a product with a service that no one really knows what it is. So... What you have to then try and do is put people through it, and then you know take the positive outcome that they have, and then put that back in to help you mm-hmm. sell it more. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of been our that's been our plan over the last kind of couple of years to try and help do that. And we've had some amazing feedback on coaching, which is which has been helpful with that. I think um, at the early stage, our plan was kind of right. We're just testing messaging on different platforms with different providers, and you know different. Um, media types and we just started building a waiting list so we yeah we worked with some influencers we worked with um, you know the the general kind of paid um, marketing platforms that that are out there around social media etc and other you know third-party maybe some of them off the wall options where we were looking at different things that might work Mm -hmm. and just kind of started to kind of gradually grow this waiting list um, which seems to have become a very popular way of gaining traction and I think more so testing messaging of what's going to work when you're actually live yeah. Um, so yeah a lot of that in terms of preparation to, to become live we didn't actually end up launching until the end of August last year um, we've had a lot to develop and I think you know those, those projects always take a bit longer but it wasn't it's not really an issue because you know we had that marketing um, activity still ongoing and learning and figuring out what works and what doesn't work in the background so yeah. it's uh, I guess often people use a terminology like, you know, spread your net really wide at the beginning and then bring it in a bit more niche when you see what's working. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a really quick process, especially for us in, with something that is still not really well known. Yeah. So I think we're still working out what avenues work best and what brings what brings the best resonance of what we do to people but brings the right people to us. Mm-hmm.
0: So do you want to dive into a little bit then about what the biggest challenge has been around marketing the product? The
1: biggest challenge has definitely been the fact that no one knows what financial coaching is. So when you're launching a product and the concept of the product is already well understood, either because there's already lots in the market or it's something common like share investment or pensions where people know what those things are, they may not have them, they may not use them, but they know what they are, then you have less of a educational journey to perform people understand the term financial and they understand the term coaching like people hear it and think of advice which it's very similar to in terms of how the sessions might be operated but the actual content of what's said and how we educate people is very different so um yeah that's been for sure the biggest challenge from a marketing perspective working out how we get that message across and like I said earlier the one of the really the best ways to do that is take all the people that have been through coaching sessions look at their feedback figure out what kind of value they took from it and then take that back to the beginning and try and showcase people that value in different ways so we're still experimenting with many different ways to do that mm-hmm. um even now and I think um that will probably continue for, for quite a well. while. We got some pretty cool ideas this year of things we want to, we want to try um, in and around more video content. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I'm looking looking forward to seeing how those kind of start to make people ask questions and make people talk about uh, that kind of, about money in general actually more.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, one of the things I want to go back to is obviously you mentioned there about scaling the team as well back in obviously 2020, um, how, yeah. How did you approach scaling the company with essentially no product, no brand really out that people didn't know who you were as a business. how did you start that momentum to to get into where you are now so
1: some of it I mean it was hard for sure um some of it was calling on people that I already knew, so like people just trusting me that that you know that I'm <laughs> selling something that's believable or true or yeah. and that they've maybe worked with me before and and liked some part of that hopefully um, some of it was really you know i think we'd we'd done enough and we had enough people through that kind of small network of our own to get the basis of what we want into a format we could show people what we were doing you know we could get some kind of web presence to explain it we could get um yeah we were moving enough along the journey we were sorry we we're moving through the journey quick enough that we could sh- bring people in and show them what was happening and i think that's we were pretty transparent with the early people that came in about where we were and what we were doing, and that that helped but ultimately in the in the earlier days, I think we were definitely less um rigid on our hiring, mm-hmm. probably not to say we didn't get great people, just to say that we as a because of the situation in the world, everything was remote, we yeah. were trying to grow quickly we we found some great people, luckily who most of which are still here, and um we you know, it it's one of those like snowball effects, right? You start getting more and more people and then they're involved in the interviews and then mm. everything's growing and it was it was good. It was a really good time. We grew we grew quickly and and got through a lot of work. Um we then kind of had to then you start getting to the point where lockdown is maybe not ending obviously, but like it was coming to a close. We were looking at how we get back to an office scenario in some kind of very limited capacity. And then you start thinking a bit more about culture and mm-hmm. like how those things fit together. And culture's always been fairly important to me in terms of, I like everything to be open, transparent, flexible, like uh, people need to enjoy working somewhere. Otherwise, what's the point? Yeah. Um, and for that to happen, we realized that we needed to be a little bit more um, structured in our approach to hiring. So, we kind of formulated, and it wasn't particularly complex, like calculation or anything, but we kind of formulated a process over a few interviews that seemed to start working for us, where it was kind of like a three-stage interview, um, which some people may say now is a bit too much, but actually for us, we try and keep them very concise and, you know, not not, not drawn out. Mm. A very quick kind of intro um, discussion. We then, we really like having kind of like team discussions with people that are potentially potential hires so Mm. but we like to have something to talk about with them that they have uh, involvement in so we usually set like a small um, take home task we call it. it's not a test there's no right or wrong answer just how would you deal with this particular problem and then you come and talk to the team about it and we have an open discussion and then we have a kind of a final chat with me at the end and it's like that three stage thing has helped has helped us bring in people who are much more culture better culture fit yeah and I think um also i guess from a technical perspective you never really know until someone's in the role but yeah um yeah i think those kind of conversations and and that process has really helped us ensure that the culture that we're building keeps the same and that we're bringing in good people that are you know good team fit like attitude and communication skills are probably the two most important things for us when we're looking to hire people the technical stuff is important but not so much that you know you can be really great technically but you're sitting at the at the end of the room on your own getting on with things like we need that kind of yeah. in a small team you need that collaborative stuff all the time so yeah. that's yeah. been important you
0: need to be, often wear many hats as well especially in a, yeah, a growing most up. people have got two jobs <laughs> yeah. um, at what point did you start thinking about that then obviously you've made your initial hires when does it start to become right okay now we need to start thinking about what this really is yeah it
1: was probably about 15 people right and then we were like right now we're mm. And I think it kind of had had happened organically, mm-hmm. but then we're like, we probably won't be that lucky forever. So <laughs> yeah. we need to think a bit more about it. Yeah. because um, at the time you're just like, I need a you know a iOS developer, right? I need to go and find an iOS developer. Who's the? Yeah. Who, if, well, in this day and age, you just find any iOS developer you're lucky. But um yeah. you know that was yeah around 15 people is where we started to be a bit more structured about it, and we're kind of over 30 now, and that's definitely like a rigid thing we have a lot of people that come to us and they maybe don't want to go through the process but for us it's really important to make sure we don't it's for both sides it's really important like you want to make sure you're joining the right company for the right reasons and we want the right people that want to be there so yeah
0: that's one of the biggest bit things of preparation I give to anyone when going to an interview is make sure you've got questions and it sounds like I'm patronizing them obviously I've got questions but it's like no we want you to leave any interview knowing yay or nay you want to work there and if it's a thumbs up that's great if it's a thumbs down that's also great Mm. but you need to go in and see it as a two-way thing to grill the, per- the team that you're meeting yeah, with i love it away. when people ask me difficult yeah. questions because yeah.
1: like, it shows that actually thinking about it really yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. um I, if when someone comes to an interview with me on the, like the last stage of our thing if they haven't got a list of questions to me i'm well it's actually probably not going to end very well because <laughs> yeah. they haven't you know they're not you're not thinking about what life is going to be like and yeah. if you've got the opportunity to ask me something like i mean there's always questions to ask yeah
0: right? Yeah, it's not always how many days holiday. So (laughs) that's fair. I think with um, where you're at, sounds like you're going on quite an exciting trajectory. But I guess one of the things to maybe reflect upon is what do you think has been the biggest challenge personally throughout that journey?
1: I think it's the the work life balance, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I could easily, I mean, I still do work stupid hours. Um, and I have two young kids, and like, and and that is always hard. Doesn't matter if you're in a startup or even in in any other big company. That's always hard. I think, um, yeah, that is been a struggle for me for a long time to kind of make sure I try and find the right um, midpoint, if you like. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure there's any like great secret answer to that question because it's a it's different for everyone for me it's different every week as well like depending what's going on on a weekly basis depends on how much time i can contribute to different things sometimes family takes preference because something's going on that's important and sometimes work takes preference because stuff's going on that's important so the Mm. it's like constant juggling act to to try and try and somehow yeah manage the two um personally that's probably been the biggest impact for me um i think there's always an under if anyone that knows me years ago said i wouldn't be a ceo again because i kind of did it for a few years and i was like this is hard work and like not that other jobs i did weren't hard but this was hard work of a different nature like the the onus of things being on you Mm. to like make things succeed is quite a lot of pressure and obviously i changed my mind and and decided to go full in again and i'm glad i did it was again the best decision i made this is the best role i've ever had for sure in my career i love it Mm. um but yeah, that, that kind of pressure of of being... It's its one of those things where you go into a room with all these, you know, I hire intelligent people, right? Generally people that are clever than me, is what I yeah. try and aim for. And um, you go into a room and you're discussing a really crucial problem, right? Something that is critical to... a big piece of work or maybe even the entire business and everyone sits around a table and everyone's got very intelligent views and experience and no one can come to the conclusion of what's the right answer and then when they can't come to the conclusion they look at you and like well then you need to make a decision you're like oh god well um i it that's uh that's you know that's that's the kind of pressure stuff that i guess um you get used to it doesn't really get any easier Mm -hmm. but you know the combination of those two things the personal stuff the the balance work-life balance and the General kind of onus to help push the business through is uh, mm. is always a big personal struggle, but it comes with you know the struggle comes with loads of positive stuff as well yeah. in terms of like I wouldn't want to be doing anything else right now put it that way.
0: Yeah, that's a journey I'm starting to embark on with my daughter joining me in the, in the world. So, uh, I know you've had a, a few struggles this morning. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. um, I guess the final question from us that we like to ask everyone is: what piece of advice would you give to someone who's looking to take the leap into either joining a startup or going in and starting their own business
1: i think if i give if i give advice on that or like my opinion on that it's got to be something that's like probably specific something that i think is specific to tech business Mm -hmm. and i having only run tech businesses i don't know if it applies elsewhere so that's why i caveat that and i think like finding a product market fit as quickly and as easily and as cheaply as possible mm-hmm. is, for me, like it's the the best thing that you can do. Um, I think we, because of our journey was a little bit different. We didn't have necessarily have the opportunity to do it that way, um, and I think we managed to get there, and like through a slightly more con- convoluted and complex journey. But, um, I think if you can yeah find a way with technology as well like you can always completely underestimate how complex a build is going to be and I have mm-hmm. my whole career in technology and my CEO is always still having a go at me for oversimplifying things and and, and <laughs> getting annoyed when things take longer than they do yeah. and I think um, yeah the get those those answers to those product fit questions as soon as possible with and even if you have to mock it up on paper and like you know do it that way mm-hmm. like rather than invest you know like starting to build a huge thing before you really know if it's right and i think you, we we found ways around that and we do a lot of different types of testing to make sure that we're validating um but i think if you're looking to dive into that like if you can even do it before you dive into it i think that's even better like a lot a lot of i hear listen to a lot of those um podcasts going on uh on the on the web right now from other ceos and a lot of them will say, like, they spent two years researching mm. something before they even dived into it. Oh, right. that's just and, right. like, that's that f- makes a lot of sense to me. Because mm-hmm. I think, actually, you can keep going, you can research for a long, 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 long time. Mm. So I think, yeah, that would probably be the piece of advice that i give.
0: Perfect. That's a new one that we've had as well, so appreciate that. Um, well, look, Rob, that's uh, great really appreciate you joining us today thanks for that thank and, you. Uh, yeah hope you enjoyed the episode um, but if anyone uh, wants to connect with myself and suggest any ideas for the podcast I'm on LinkedIn and as is Rob if you want to connect with him and uh, get in touch about what's going over at, on, over at Clara Money um, feel free to connect with him as well um, but yeah really appreciate your time and thanks a lot cool thank you